Welcome to Bits of Gold, episode 124. Today's episode is all about grabbing life by the horns and designing the life you want. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you're new here, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Second, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. More subscribers help attract more amazing guests to help better serve you with amazing content on how to live with purpose. But first, a message from our sponsor. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Now let's get to it. As many people get older, we tend to form dysfunctional beliefs about our life and what's possible. It's easy to fall victim and into a trap believing that life is a certain way. We tend to box ourselves in as opposed to believing and recognizing what truly is possible and what can be regardless of how old we are, where we come from, where we start, etc. On today's episode, I sit down with entrepreneur, author, and keynote speaker Scott Lees, who made the jump from employee to entrepreneur and has not looked back since. He took his expertise in sales that he developed while an employee and now has built a suite of companies helping companies improve their ability to sell. Today he helps companies with a focus on scaling from zero to $25 million in annual recurring revenue. He also founded Surf and Sales in 2017, which is a small group learning environment for surfing and learning, and it looks awesome. The thing that stood out to me most about Scott was his perspective on why he chose to very intentionally shift from employee to founder and how his fight with his autoimmune disease shaped his thinking and made him ask himself, what now? As opposed to focusing on why he was being faced with such tremendous health issues early on in his life. His grit, resilience, and perspective on life and career is beyond inspiring. And I'm so excited for you to tune in to his Bits of Gold today. And now let's welcome Scott to the show. Scott, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. Pumped to have you on today. Uh, thanks, Dan. Excited to be here, man. A great name for the show, by the way. I love that. Oh, appreciate that. That, uh, that means a lot. Before we jump in today, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Scott Lease, been a uh, sales leader for roughly 20 years now. I, I was a VP of sales a half dozen times and spent most of my career in tech and, and, and startups scaling businesses from call it zero to 25 million or so. And along the way, started some other businesses on the side, including surfing sales, as well as Thursday night sales. I've written three books and um, dabbled in all sorts of other things. But finally, 2019, uh, I cut the cord and started my own consulting business. So I run Scott Lee's Consulting and primarily work with startups from all around the world and helping them grow and scale and, and build sales organizations the right way. Oh, that's awesome. How did you get started in sales? Roundabout way, like most people, with a difficult kind of start. I, I, I did not study business. I was not a lifelong entrepreneur like you. I really had no eye or, or interest in it. I, when I was in college, I, I studied psychology and religion. So classic, like liberal arts degrees that aren't going to do anything for you. if You're not going <laughs> to be a professor, probably. Went to grad school, got a master's degree in, in learning and, and educational technology. And I played two sports in college and a little bit of uh, semi-pro soccer and 
not at all thinking like, oh, I'm going to get into sales or I'm going to get even get into business. Like I just didn't even know what I was going to do, to be honest with you. Right before my 23rd birthday, I got super sick. Couldn't figure out what was going on. I landed in the hospital. I went from my playing weight of like 195 to 145 in about six weeks. Wow. And basically spent the next four years in the hospital fighting for my life. Turns out I had multiple autoimmune diseases, had a scare with colon cancer, and uh, I've had nine major abdominal surgeries, four emergency life-saving surgeries, got addicted to opioids in the process of being in the hospital, had to end up you know, getting clean and, and kicking off of that. So I was 27 years old before I really started any kind of career whatsoever. And I had an old college tennis teammate who said, hey, you should try sales. He had been in sales for four or five years at this point. So he kind of just suggested it to me based on how competitive I was. And I gave it a shot. Terrified of it. I'd, I'd never been much of an outgoing person. Definitely consider myself more of a wallflower and that kind of thing. And well, that was how I got started. I, I didn't really know what else I was going to do. And I figure, you know, I could understand the competitive aspect. I understood the better you do, the more you get paid, the worse you do, you get cut, you get fired, basically. I understood that from being an athlete. And so I gave it a shot, man. Roughly 20 years later, here I am. I definitely don't want to brush all over you know, your own personal journey early on before really your career began. What was that like? How old were you when you made your way into the hospital? Well, it was right around my 23rd birthday. So I started getting sick right before my 23rd birthday. And I think I was 23 when I went into the hospital for the first time. And I spent time in a, my hometown hospital, Chico, California. I spent time in the Mayo Clinic in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. I spent the majority of my time at UCSF Medical Center in San Francisco. It was terrifying, man. I thought that I was bulletproof and kind of in my prime physically. And again, this is 20 something years ago, 24 years ago, 22 years ago, 22 years ago. Yeah. There's no Netflix. There's no cell phone. There's no internet in the hospital. You know what I mean? Like I had nothing. There was no outside yeah. connection to people. People didn't know where I was or, or what happened to me. Wow. So, you know, it was super isolating and uh, you just kind of learn like to live one moment to the next. There was times where I didn't think I was going to make it. And I'm like, you just got to hang on until the doctor comes, you know, at five o'clock in the morning on his rounds. Or you just got to hang on for another 45 minutes till you're due for another antibiotic or pain push or, or what have you. Or you just got to wait until, you know, this test comes back. And you're really just like hyper focused on these micro goals of getting through the next couple minutes. You're not thinking at all about my two year, five year, 10 year plan. Like that shit doesn't come into your mind. And you're not thinking about career. You're not thinking about money. You're just like, how the fuck am I going to survive this? You know? Did you know anyone else who was in a similar situation? Like what tools, resources, people were, were there? Like how did you actually move forward and move day by day through that time? I had my family. My parents spent a lot of time visiting me in the hospital. My brother was in college at the time, did his best to come on by, but I don't want to make it sound overly lonely, but it was fucking lonely, man. 100%. Yeah. There was no resources, Dan. This is like... You're talking about the early 2000s. Internet was like barely, you know, happened. I got through college without having an email address, man. That's how old I am. <laughs> so you weren't like doing your own research from the hospital bed on your cell phone trying to self-diagnose. Like, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I'd never heard of autoimmune disease. 
never heard of ulcerative colitis or Sjogren syndrome or all this other shit that people were telling me might be going on. And everything that you thought that you were kind of flashes before your eyes and you become something else. And I grew up extremely fast during that period, you know, of my life. And by the time I got out, I could look at it like I lost all these years and I've got challenges now and it's going to hold me back forever. But I kind of made a decision that what I've been through was an advantage. And so I just kind of told myself that I have a superpower that other people don't have. And that superpower is the ability to survive, the ability to have tremendous resilience and resolve, the ability to focus like crazy and a sense of urgency like nobody else. You put somebody away in a, hotel, in a hospital room for four years, man, where you're not even really breathing fresh air, and then you unleash them on the world and it's like, man, get out of my way, you know? And a lot of people don't have that same sense of appreciation for every opportunity that presents themselves. So that was the narrative that I've that I told myself and that I've that I've tried to tried to stick with, you know. That's amazing. So after four years, several surgeries and it sounds like really like a, a journey, right? Four years is not a it's not a blip. That's a long time. I'm assuming you were given like a clean bill of health. No, you know, it's that's the thing. It's like things that I went through, it's not like you have this thing and then it's gone, you know, forever. It's always a part of you. And, and my surgeries, you know, changed how I live, you know, forever. And so it's not a one and done kind of thing. So you struggle with it. You fight with it all the time. I'm human. I ask myself, why me sometimes? But you, you learn to, like I said, you learn to try to find a, a story to tell yourself that the things that you have been through made you stronger and you're stronger than other, than other people. And, you know, when you start selling, for example, you're like, oh my God, the phone weighs a thousand pounds and all these people are going to tell me to get lost and nobody's buying from me. And if I don't hit my quota, I'm going to lose my job. And not to minimize all that stuff, but that shit is meaningless by comparison to some of the things that I already been through. So it yeah. was very easy for me to just fall back on that. And that's one of the things I try to teach people is like, think about the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life. Hopefully nothing will ever be harder than that. Okay. You think it's worth worrying about some fucking cold call not picking up? I think it's <laughs> worth worrying about, you know, somebody tells you to buzz off because you called them too many times. Like, you think I care if, if you fire me? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? I find another job. And, and yeah. once you like come to the, that kind of realization, it's very liberating. You know, it's very freeing. Like you can't control me anymore because I won't, I won't live in fear like that. That makes a lot of sense. Before we get into, you know, your journey within sales, what drew you to go into sales? Was it that you felt you could just be good? You had the competitive edge or was it the opportunity to make money? Was it, what was it that drew you to sales? Because obviously, you know, you have, you get out of the hospital, you have this tremendous perspective now, right? On, like you said, you have these micro wins and that's what you, what you hyper-focus on day to day. What made you choose sales as opposed to all the other things that you could have potentially done? Like I said, my, my friend kind of told me, you, you, you'd be good at this. I've been pretty good for the last few years. He was on my college tennis team, super competitive, but he even would tell you, nobody's more competitive than me. So that was appealing. And then I had to make up for lost time in my mind, right? Mm. I, I didn't fancy myself as some like entry-level employee for very long, you know, and, and my brother is an engineer. And by the time I was out of the hospital, he had been working for Accenture or something like that as an engineer. And I remember him complaining that no matter how good he did, the people next to him got paid just as much. 
And I was like, that doesn't make no sense. I got to find a job where the better I do, the more I get paid. Right. Mm. And I, in sales, like I dictate my income level so I can go here and potentially make six figures like within a year. Okay. It was a little bit of that kind of, you know, motivation that, that drew me there. And, and once I got started, I figured it out pretty quick for whatever reason. And then realized really soon after that, that I actually got more enjoyment and fulfillment out of helping other people close deals than I did from closing my own deals. And so I chose really quick, I got to go into leadership. I got to get so good at this fucking cold calling thing that I basically never have to do it again. That was the story I told myself. Mm. Joke's on me now that I run my own business and I'm prospecting all the time. But you know, at the time I told myself, I got to get so good at cold calling that I just have to, that I just teach people how to do it rather than do it myself. Did you have an aha moment early on where you're like, fuck, I'm good at this? I mean, it took me a few days. Like, I think it was my fifth day on the phone before I finally closed the deal. This was kind of a, was a transactional sales cycle. So this is not like an enterprise sales cycle that I'm, that I'm running. But my aha moment was really, you know, my first ever deal was a deal I closed in Hawaii at like 9.30 at night. I was living in California at the time, working in the Bay Area. And I was in the office at 7.30, you know, on a Friday night, cold calling Hawaii, just trying to take advantage of the time zone. And I was the only one in the office and I, and I closed this deal and I kind of gave myself a fist bump, let's go kind of thing. And I just looked around and I was like, this is an advantage you have. Your advantage is, again, you want this more than everybody else. Like, look around you. There's nobody here. You control how hard you work. And you want to get better faster, you put in more work. See, this is another thing that I understood just like going through what I've been through, you know, through sports and, and through my health challenges and stuff like that. Like, you put in the time, you put in the at-bats and the reps, you'll get better faster. That learning curve will shrink. So that was my aha moment was sort of like, I'm willing to do something that nobody else is willing to do. And if I do that enough, I'm going to win. And so I started doing all that and I started seeing the results and it just reinforced that I was doing the right thing. Makes a lot of sense. I feel that sales is just so much of our life is like a sale, right? And I feel like there's a lot of value in knowing how to sell, regardless if you're doing it professionally or not. And you know, if you want to go into your own business, obviously, you're going to have to learn how to become good at sales or you're going to have to be good at sales. What do you feel makes a great salesperson? Well, gosh, there's so many different things. One of the things that I think maybe doesn't get talked about enough is the ability to take something complex and to simplify it in a way that a third grader could understand it. The ability to really listen and hear and understand, you know, the words that other people are saying and to let them speak before you chime in with all the shit that you want to say, to kind of adapt your styles based on who you're talking to. Obviously, I think I'm big on, you know, being competitive and, and having the drive to do more, either to prove a point, to compete with somebody else, prove something to yourself. I think being able to have fun with it. I mean, it, it's an incredibly stressful job. Don't get me wrong, with lots of highs and lows. And it can be super boring sometimes as well. We've all had those days probably where you've made 30, 40 calls in a row and nobody picked up the phone or nobody gave you the time of day. And it's like, dude, I can only do that for so long before I have to have some fun with it. Do you feel like sales is a numbers game? I mean, ultimately, yes. But I feel like that phrase is kind of a bad word because I think people associate it with like, well, just make 7,000 calls and one person will finally 
pick up the phone and you'll close the deal. It doesn't work like that anymore because our world is so noisy. It's harder and harder to, to call people and have them pick up the phone. It's harder to get people to open your email. It's harder to get people to accept a connection request, even on LinkedIn sometimes. So we're all being bombarded with messaging so much that you've got to cut through the noise, but you still, if you really want to be good and you want to build something that scales, you've still got to understand the metrics and the numbers. Yeah. I need to know how many VCs that I need to talk to in order for me to get a, you know, a meeting with one of them. And I need to know how many meetings I need in order to get one referral and how many referrals I need in order to close one deal and all this kind of stuff. It's important for me to, to run my business that way. That doesn't mean I want to just dial my head off until somebody finally says, yes, I have to be smarter about it. I have to be more creative about it. I have to really understand my buyer more than I ever needed to 20 years ago, probably. It still is math sometimes at the end of the day. One thing that I've experienced, and I'm curious to get your take on this, but I feel that... So in all my businesses to date, I've really put very little effort into creating the brand and have focused very much on like business to business outreach. So contacting businesses via email and trying to create like a lukewarm opportunity to connect with them. And what I feel that I've come to believe at least is that most people that I've sold, they were already ready to buy. Like they were already looking for the product or service that I was selling them as opposed to I had this solution and I was trying to actually sell them. Like I feel like whenever I've closed the deal, it's more often than not, they've actually just been ready. It was kind of like right place, right time. And I had the solution for them. I'm curious if you feel like that's kind of like the sweet spot, or do you think that sales people have the ability to establish uh, you know, a problem that maybe someone wasn't thinking about and, and ultimately close them? I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think you are in the sweet spot with what you've done for sure. <laughs> I think you should pause for a moment and consider yourself blessed because there's a lot of salespeople out there who don't have that same kind of opportunity and they have to make something out of nothing. They have to call people up and be like, hey, Dan, I don't know if you're aware, but you got this problem and somehow get them to take that in a non-offensive way and take time to, to hear you out. 11 years ago or so, I was a VP of sales at a company selling social media marketing and reputation management services to small local businesses. This was like right at the very beginning of social media marketing. I mean, people didn't even barely know what it was. So we had to call all these restaurants and bars and you know, small local businesses, service providers like lawyers and doctors and stuff like this. And we were trying to make them aware of a problem that they didn't even know they had. So I'd call you up and be like, hey, Dan, you're the owner of uh, Dan's Barbershop, right? Question yeah. for you. <laughs> I, I came across a couple of lukewarm reviews on Yelp and can't remember the other sites anymore. But and we'd be like, are you aware of that? Are you the person who handles that over there? People would be like, wait, what? What are you talking about? And so we, we were like, we had made people aware of problems that they didn't know that they had. Yes, you're in the sweet spot. Yes, it can be done to make people aware of a problem that they didn't know they had before. You can win either way. There's probably something fucked up in your apartment right now that you don't know about or your house that you don't know about, right? Whatever it is. I could have an arborist come over to my house and be like, you know what? You got four trees in the backyard that are sick and they're about to fall over in the next two years. I can have somebody come over and look at my roof, in the middle of my roof, some spot I can't see and be like, you are about to have a hole in the, in the ceiling, 
right? You can have somebody come check the air conditioning ducts and be like, you got black mold running through that building in Manhattan that you're paying I see what you're 500 saying. bucks a month for, right? No wonder you're <laughs> fucking sick all the time. But you don't know that yet. You see what I'm saying? So it's possible for people in different types of sales environments to make people aware of problems that they don't know that they had yet. That makes a lot of sense. So obviously, you know, you have an impressive sales background and I'm curious what made you take the leap to start your own business on the coaching side or on the consulting side as opposed to continuing down the path that you were on as it relates to helping companies build their sales team. Well, you know, I just wanted to have more control over my own destiny and I wanted to have more control over my income as well as my schedule. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You cannot really survive on one income anymore. That's my opinion. It's a dangerous game to play. We got all sorts of weird shit going on in the world that just causes tumult everywhere. You know, pandemic hits, bang, everybody's fired all of a sudden. In the last few months, economic downturn, bang, people are fired everywhere. If you have no safety net, no backup plan, no other sources of income, you're in big trouble. And I realized very early in being a VP of sales that my head was in the guillotine all the time. I'm one, two quarters of mediocre to bad performance away from being fired at any given time. At any given time, there's no fucking loyalty whatsoever. I have a couple bad months in a row, I'm probably out. And having gone through that the first few times without a safety net and relying entirely on that was extremely stressful. And I kind of wised up and I was like, I got to start doing something else on the side. Even if what I do on the side doesn't pay me that much, even if it just brings me enough to pay a particular bill, right? Oh, I could pay my cell phone bill because I took this call with Dan. Oh, wow. I could pay my you know, energy bill because I did these two other calls what have you. And so I started to get more and more serious about it. And I knew I wanted to cut the cord. But I also knew my income level was here. And I was starting way down here on side hustle kind of stuff. So I waited years until all of my kind of side projects, that income total was the same as what I was earning in my W2 job. And only then did I feel comfortable enough saying, you know what, I'm ready to try this on my own. What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is I fail and I have to go get another VP of sales job. Oh, well, darn, right? Along the way, I just got really good at being a VP of sales, right? And earning more and more credibility, getting more experience, networking deeper, 
So what happens is by the time I fully cut the cord and go out on my own, the brand is bigger. Me being the brand, my price tag is bigger. You know what I'm saying? I could have gone out on my own 20 years ago and I, I, would, I would have earned peanuts, but instead I waited. I didn't want to go out on my own and earn six figures. When I was going to go out on my own, I was going to be a seven figure plus earner. I wasn't going to fucking do it. And so I just had big kind of goals and, and dreams with it. And, and I ultimately didn't want to have my fate decided by somebody else who oftentimes doesn't really know much more than me. Did you have a, a moment when you had this realization or it was just like just watching kind of like the world and obviously sales, sales can be pretty cutthroat, obviously? I think I was in my second head of sales job, VP of sales job, when I felt like I didn't really agree with decisions that were being made, you know, at the founder level. And I thought, well, I wouldn't do it that way. And I think I could do better. I don't know that I can work for somebody else. And I'm not super shy anymore. I've kind of pretty direct and voice my opinions and that gets me in hot water sometimes. And so I'd have these healthy to maybe not so healthy debates and conversations with people. And you couple that again with knowing that your head's in the chopping block all the time. And it's just like, I got to find my way out of this. I kind of had this dream to be the W2 free VP that would float around out there and still provide tons of value and do the things that I know how to do. But rather than do it for one company, I could do it for a dozen. That kind of became the goal. And and that sprung out all these other businesses, right? I wrote these books to get royalties from that. I got a Patreon group. I got real estate investments. I do one-on-one private coaching in addition to the advisory and consulting gigs. I started a business called Surf and Sales. I started a podcast that has sponsorship revenue. I started Thursday night sales. I started a live in-person sales conference event. So I have like 13 streams of income at least right now. Well, the average millionaire has seven streams of income. And I pay attention to that kind of thing. And I'm just trying to diversify, diversify, diversify. So if one thing dries up, it lessens the sting a little bit. That makes sense. Do you believe that everyone should start a side hustle? Like regardless of if you're in your own business, if you're working a job, do you think everyone should start a side hustle? I don't know about everyone. I just think that everyone should know the risks of putting all your eggs in one basket. If I'm a founder and I'm, and I'm starting a, a software business, okay, I don't think I can do side hustle stuff. I need to be all in 100% on this business. That makes sense. But if I'm a sales leader or a VP of marketing, or I'm a account executive that's been in, in the game for a little while and I have some expertise, I think it's foolish to not have other things going on on the side. Because you could be fired at any moment. Yeah, it's a weird thing that people that like the mentality, I guess, you know, you could say is the mentality around a job is that that's the most secure option. Yeah, it's a bizarre thing. It's very bizarre. The most secure thing is for me to place my livelihood in your hands. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Who says that Dan knows what's best for me? I'm not sure why that's the narrative that's like so ingrained. And it's ingrained in a lot of like, uh, I'm 29. It's definitely ingrained in like my parents' generation. Anyone that I know from, from that generation, it's you're going to get a job because that's the secure thing. Yeah. That's the safe thing. That's the smart well, thing. Well, it gets worse. I got news for you as you get older because you said you're 29. I'm 45. So let's say you hire me. Part of me is looking around at you like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I got to take orders from this 29 year old kid. 
that I have almost as much experience as years he's been alive, right? <laughs> now, yeah. That's just fact. Whether I'm right or wrong doesn't really matter. That's how a lot of people think. It's yeah. hard sometimes. You work for a, a younger founder who's half your age and, and whatnot, and, and you see them potentially making mistakes, and you're like, well, I've seen this movie before, dude. Don't do that. That's not a good idea. And then they make that decision and make that mistake anyways. And you're like, fucking told you, man. Now you just tanked our acquisition chances and I just lost millions of dollars. That's hard to stomach and deal with when you've been in the game a long time. Yeah. So if you don't want to deal with that, you got two choices. You just fucking complain about it forever and be <laughs> disgruntled or whatever. Or you do something about it and you leave and you go try to do your own thing. And so I felt like after six times through the ringer of being a VP of sales, I'm like, I've earned my stripes at this point in time. I really don't have nothing left to prove. It's time for me to go do my own thing. And I waited a lot longer than most people do. I want to speak to that a little bit because obviously, you know, on your trajectory, VP of sales, and you're working with high growth startups, you have this trajectory where you're making really good money, right? It sounds like, you know, you took sort of like a very patient approach in terms of building up your consulting business and diversifying your income. But how challenging was it to walk away from, I don't want to say necessarily security, but like the money? Because, right, you obviously worked very hard to get to this point where I'm assuming you're making great money in, in your role. It wasn't very hard because if you remember, like, I didn't start from zero. This is something that I think I did smart. You said I was patient, but what I was really doing was growing all of my side income. So, full transparency, I was earning like 400K as a VP of sales. This is three, four years ago. So as my side hustle income started to grow and started to get into the low hundreds of thousands, I'm like, this is starting to be as lucrative as my W-2 job. And my W-2 job gives me all of my stress. So if I can match these things, I'm not starting at zero. I'm starting at like the 50 fucking yard line already. I got a guaranteed 400K coming in without this W-2, I could bet if I shit can that W-2, I can make more than the 800K per year that I was doing. And in my first year, I did 1.1 million. In my second year, I did 1.5 million. Right now, this year, I'm tracking to do 2.5 million. So the bet, you know, so far has paid off, but I didn't just like quit my job and go from making 400K to zero and be like, okay, now I got to start finding ways to make money up, you know, on my own. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Along the way, as you were building that, I guess, what would be your advice to someone who wants to start their own side hustle? They want to start a consulting business or some business, but they're trying to figure out where do I even start? What would be your advice? Well, the first thing you have to do is get really good at your regular job, I think. Because once you do that, you now can leverage those skills all right, and teach them to other people. And that's the quickest, easiest way to monetize something. Teach other people the thing that you're really good at. So for example, let's say you're really good at podcast production, okay? You could probably charge people 100 bucks, 200 bucks an hour to do a consult on podcast production. You could take that call on your commute home if you still have to commute somewhere, right? You go walk the dog for 30 minutes or, or an hour, and you talk to somebody and you get paid while you're doing that. If you've been an account executive and you're top of the leaderboard, hit your quota for God knows how long, years, don't you think you can give advice to people who are brand new in, in sales? So it's like, pick a yeah, thing absolutely. that you're already really good at. 
some skill that you've mastered and then leverage that skill to make money. There's no creation of asset needed. You see what I'm saying? It's not a heavy lift whatsoever. It's very easy. But I think people rush trying to do all that. They try to do it before they, they really have gotten good at the main thing. You got to get good at the main yeah. thing first. The internet's definitely weird in that sense because you know there's a lot of noise as it relates to coaching and experts that who really aren't experts or people who shouldn't be teaching. And it's bizarre in that sense. I feel like one thing that's, that's been an interesting observation of mine over the last year, I've started investing in, in real estate and I have, have some short-term rentals in upstate New York. And what I've learned about the real estate industry is I think there's more coaches and I think more people, like the business of real estate, I think there's more people making more money teaching people how to do real estate, right. regardless if they know how to do real estate. <laughs> and there are people who are actually making money buying real estate. And that's estate. the problem because like those are the pe- not the people you want to take advice from or listen to, right? It's like, I want to talk to Definitely the people not. who've been there, made it, and now they're like, I've got some extra bandwidth and I'd like to teach other people what works for me, right? Like I didn't go try to tell 100%. people how to be a VP of sales after my first time as a VP of sales. I did it six fucking times, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like, you know, you've taken your time and just become like very intentional around how you want to spend it as it relates to the work you're doing. I know you have the surf and sales event that you, that you do and like doing things that you truly want. I'm curious now looking back from when you first started your career at 27 to now, how do you look at things differently today as opposed to when you were 27? When I was 27, I was not as mature necessarily as I thought I was. I kind of had one, one trick in my bag, if you will. My leadership style was very much like how I captained my soccer team. It's just like rally the troops, get everybody fired up, and off we go. I didn't have the same empathy and understanding for people in different circumstances and situations. I just wasn't as educated. So I've evolved for sure as a leader in, in, in how I treat people and, and respond to people. I think my selling style has very much stayed the same. I wrote a book called Addicted to the Process that kind of walks through my sales model, which is very similar to the recovery process, which is get people to admit they have a problem, help them understand why solving that problem is important, make them realize they need to do something about it right now before it's too late. And then and only then are they open to hearing about the solution fixing that particular problem. And that for me remains true. So that hasn't really evolved. My brand has evolved. There was no brand when I got started. There was no LinkedIn presence or anything like that. I've spent a lot of time, you know, building a network that I can reach out to and, and utilize and more people I can help. I have 92,000 plus followers on LinkedIn right now. I add about 1,000, 500 to 1,000 a month right now at this rate. So I'll be over 100,000, hopefully by, before the, the year is out. That's a totally different thing. As you know, as a, as a lifelong entrepreneur, like it's easier and easier now for me to think of ideas, take a little bit of action, put it into practice, make a little bit of money on it. And that entrepreneurial itch is like very strong now. Want to try different things. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard because I'm somebody who tries to do everything. Sometimes I have to remind myself, if you pick up something else, it means you got to put something else down. And that's tricky sometimes, you know. But I didn't have that entrepreneurial itch when I first got started. I very much had an employee mentality where like, oh, good, I have a job. If I sell this, 
I'll make this amount of money and that's it. That was like the pinnacle. And it took me a while to realize, man, that ain't the pinnacle. It's time for me to take the red pill and bust out of the matrix, you know? <laughs> How did surf and sales come about? It's cool seeing that. And I'd love if you could share a little bit about that event because that's something maybe where people would look at and be like, hmm, that's, is that a business? Is that just someone who's trying to connect with cool people? Yeah. But you know, I'm assuming it's another stream, but I feel like it, it kind of scratches an itch for you in terms of doing something you really like while bringing people together. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's uh, evolved to almost a half million dollar business. Did I think it was going to be that when I first got started? No, absolutely not. I'd be lying to you if I told you that. I mean, I was in Costa Rica with my co-founder, Richard, with our families over Thanksgiving. And, and I was kind of giving him hell about these different conferences he had to go to all over the US. And I'm like, that sounds boring as fuck, dude. Like, how come nobody has a conference in a cool place like Costa Rica, where we are right now, where people can get away and like disconnect and go somewhere beautiful and I don't want to go in a hotel conference room for eight hours and listen to somebody blather on forever. Like, why don't we do like a few hours of content and then the rest of the time is like surfing and eating and having drinks and just chit chatting. And I'd rather hang with 20 people in this more intimate, experiential kind of setting than I would with 20,000 running around, you know, this conference center. Like, that's not my thing. So yeah. he kind of challenged me and he was like, well, why don't you build it? You know, I said, well, why don't you fucking build it with me then, dude? <laughs> we took a shot on it. You know, that was November. And by February, we had launched it and we're starting to try to sell tickets. So we've sold out every single one. It's called the Surf and Sales Summit. You can check it out at surfandsales.com. It's uh, basically a mini sales conference. It's a micro sales conference in uh, Playa Grande, Costa Rica. We take 20 people three or four times a year down there. People from all sorts of different roles, from founders to SDRs to customer success and VPs of sales all over the place, all over the world. We have people from seven, eight countries, I think, who have flown in by now. It's a blast, man. And the relationships that are forged in the Surf and Sales conferences are, are, are really something special. You talk to people who've been, they'll tell you like, this conference is very different. It changed, it changed my life. It wasn't what I expected it to be. And, uh, you know, that's a hell of a compliment. Absolutely. I feel like in those more intimate settings also, it's just easier to form, yeah. forge like more meaningful relationships. Well, you know, you got you to gotta create the right setting for that type of thing, right? And uh, running around the Moscone Center in San Francisco is not the right setting. Running around, you know, <laughs> Madison Square Garden with 50,000 vendors is not the right setting for that kind of thing. Yeah, I hear you. Well, you know, I think we covered a lot of bits of gold on how to live with purpose, how to navigate the early stages of your career, especially, you know, if you are interested in sales or you're already in sales, where can people connect with you, follow you, learn more about you? Well, the best place to, to start is just go to LinkedIn and uh, give me a follow on LinkedIn. I'm super responsive on there, even at this point. So shoot me a message and if you want to hear more of what I have to say and check some things out, you can go to thursdaynightsales.com. It's the world's largest virtual sales happy hour. We have it every Thursday night. I've got a Patreon group for people who are a little more serious about sales leadership. And we do trainings every Tuesday night. And uh, obviously, if you ever want to come to Costa Rica and learn a little bit about sales and leadership and also have a little bit of fun, you can check out surfandsales.com. Awesome. Well, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show today. All right, Dan. Appreciate it, man. All the links for this episode can be found in the show notes. I want to hear from you. 
What were your favorite bits of gold from Scott? Shoot me a message on Instagram at DanLevGoldberg. Finally, if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it really helps with growing the show. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day, and I'll see you next time. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, 